Hello and welcome to the conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Steve from Rare Gamer. There's an intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steve from off of Rare Gamer. And if Steve is here, it either means we're talking about rare cows or we're talking about stop and swap. I know you've been here for other things, but generally, those are the two things I know you for. Well, I guess I need five things that I know you for in order to properly know you. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me on again to uh, discuss this, the most, you know, epic of topics in Rare's fandom. More than cows, more than perfect dark cheese, it's it's stop and swap, baby. <laughs> yeah, and we did a duology of stop and swap episodes back in seasons eight and nine of the conversation. We did stop and swap a history in season eight, and we did stop and swap a revelation almost two years ago in season nine. And, you know, when, when you do two of anything, people are always going to ask, where's the third? Can we make it a trilogy? And thankfully, yes, <laughs> because of your due diligence, we now have enough talking points to go off of to squeeze a little bit more discussion out of the Stop and Swap sponge. Here we are with Stop and Swap, a summation. Exactly. And and we've used the Matrix reference before in, in terms of the previous episode. So this is our Revolutions episode after, you know, Reloaded. So I'm hoping it's a little bit better, you know, in terms of quality. But, you know, it's all going to be bullet time there and everything. You know, we'll, we'll get it through it. <laughs> well, speaking of due diligence, I do want to quickly plug a couple of things, including DK Vine's merchandise store, which you can find at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise. Now, I bring this up because, well, we have a t-shirt for sale right now on our store that honors and celebrates the very concept of stop and swap. It's called Don't Stop Till You Swap Enough. And it's a, a little, uh, little fun t-shirt that it provides a checklist for any forgetful gamer in search of a fabled ice key and some question mark eggs. I'm actually wearing it right now. In fact, it's all I'm wearing. So I, I we love this. It. Yeah. I love this shirt. Uh, it's, it's always nice to you know, remind myself that yes, there are two question mark eggs in Mad Monster Mansion. I'm not losing my mind. So you can find that as well as all of our great shirts because we have so many just fantastic top tier uh, fashion statements at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise. Or you can just find us on Public. I also want to... Plug our Patreon at dkvine.com forward slash Patreon, or you can find us on Patreon. You know, we had a big episode last week about the missing, or I should say abandoned Donkey Kong game from 2016. We divulged all the details on there. It was independent Donkey Kong journalism at its finest, and it's all thanks to you, our lovely patrons so if you like what we do if you're like finally 
there's somebody just dedicating their life to the DKU, then, uh, you know, uh, throw a dollar or two a month our way and we can provide you even better coverage. I, I'm not sure how, but I'll figure it out. That's at dkvine.com forward slash Patreon. Now, Steve, you got a website. I do indeed. Uh, it's called raregamer.co.uk. Uh, it's a Canadian run, but <laughs> English owned. Figure that one out. Uh, website. And it talks all about rare stuff, um, including every game they've ever made from all the way back in 1983, starting with Jetpack to our current Sea of Thieves offerings and even future stuff that is kind of outside rares purview, like Perfect Dark and, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's that's what we do, whereas Donkey Kong is following the golden bananas that Donkey Kong has left behind with, you know, forages into like retro studios and Platonic and things like that. We've we've followed very steadfast to rare. So any of their games we've always uh, we've always been attached to there. So we, we sometimes get confused people coming <laughs> our way because they don't understand how something like Mighty Fight Federation connects to Donkey Kong. And I'm like, well, it's because ukulele are in it. Well, how does that connect to Donkey Kong? Oh, it's because uh, an ambiguous goldfish was in it that was clearly intended to be Royston. Who's Royston? Yeah. All right. You know, just <laughs> stop because I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Rare Gamer. Check it out. You can also find that on the drop down menu of DK Vine. So you don't even need to type in that .co.uk nonsense. You can just clicky click. There you go. So, Steve, uh, as I mentioned, we had a big episode last week. Uh, Josh Wallen, the Geek Critique, and I discussed Donkey Kong Freedom, which was Vicarious Vision's Donkey Kong game, post-tropical freeze, that was eventually scuttled when the Bala Brothers left the studio, and Nintendo reportedly took development of Donkey Kong back home internally. I say this, though, because we got a lot of new ears listening to the conversation for the very first time, and people might be tuning back in this week who aren't up to speed on the machinations and Paul Machinations of Stop and Swap, which, of course, you, you mentioned at the top of the show that it is one of the most like legendary things for rare fandom for dku fandom it really uh is in the center of that venn diagram but a lot of people may not know the 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 finer points of it where you know it goes so much beyond just an ice key and two question mark eggs that were supposed to be taken from banjo kazooie into banjo tooie so really quick I thought we should catch people up because I, I did say, you know, listen to those two episodes from seasons eight and nine. But what is the quick Cliff Notes version of Stop and Swap? What we know before we do this episode, what we've learned thus far. Yes. So here comes five hours in 30 seconds. <laughs> So, yeah, what we know about Stop and Swap, in 1998, Rare released a video game called Banjo-Kazooie. And right, slow hidden down, in slow the down. game... I gotta take notes here. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie... now? Yeah, it's the Rare game, Banjo-Kazooie. And within the game, hidden there, there was a, a couple of mysterious items. Uh, we knew about two and an ice key. So there was two mystery eggs and an ice key. And we were told, hey, in the future, you're going to find the sequel 
Banjo Tooie, you're gonna you're gonna play in that game. You're gonna be able to come back to Banjo Kazooie and find these two items and or these three items now, I guess, the ice key and the eggs, and you're gonna be able to use them in the next game. And as far as we know, back in the day, that's that's as much as we knew. And Banjo Tooie came out, and then it just stopped dead. We we didn't get to connect. It was just odd. You know, Rare would do right. many connect things later on, but for this, you know spot we had we had nothing to go on so uh data miners as we called them uh, i guess now but hackers back in the day explored the code of banjo kazooie and we found out there's actually seven total items so there's going to be six eggs and a key and we had this thing called stop and swap which we found in the menu and rare's initial plan was that you were going to remove the cartridge of banjo kazooie in the middle of play put in banjo tooie uh use some you know secret finagling code there come back to banjo kazooie after you've done certain things in the sequel and then you'd be able to collect these mysterious items that were hidden that you weren't able to gain access to so uh through that method once we found out you know, the, the foundation of stop and swap. We then discovered, oh my God, it goes even deeper because Rare didn't intend to just have Banjo Tooie and Banjo Kazooie communicating with each other. It was pretty much the latter era of their N64 library. They wanted every single game to kind of tap into this, um, secret feature. So that's what we discussed in the first episode. Um, the second episode came about because Paul Makachek very graciously uploaded on Twitter a memo from Nintendo that they had sent in 1999 during the development of Donkey Kong 64, which Heil and I had a huge laugh over it because it's just this, uh, you know, 11th hour panic talking about, oh my God, oh my God, take this out. What are you doing? If you're telling people to rip cartridges out, that'll damage the game, damage the console, lock up everything. Pandemonium. J- just to clarify Nintendo's panic here, this memo was from October 1999, I believe. <laughs> yes. Um, October ve- 1st, yeah. Yeah, very, very close to Donkey Kong 64, uh, the cartridges entering production because that would ship November 22nd, or that would be in stores <laughs> November 22nd, 1999, not even shipping. Yeah, which meant they had to manufacture them, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was, there was just this cold flop sweat from Nintendo. And if you ever sat on the sidelines and, and, imagined what Rare's relationship with Nintendo was, this seems pretty accurate. Where, like, you know, Rare would always walk up to the line and maybe tiptoe over it, and Nintendo would be like, what are you doing? Stop! Stop! Go back! Go back! And this this very much clearly illustrated that relationship. Uh, hilarious stuff. Really, I can't believe Paul uploaded it. It just seems like it's not for our eyes. But I made sure I saved it <laughs> Because I was like, you know, especially now with Twitter uh, in a question mark of its own, not an egg, but more of a flamey dumpster fire. It's like, I'm glad <laughs> I, you know, to to preserve this little bit of gaming history, because that's what it is. I mean, it, it is a vital document to understand why Stop and Swap was given the axe, especially uh, when Banjo-Kazooie, the end of the game, basically promised that you would be able to connect via magic or some such with Banjo-Tooie. Exactly. But it was Donkey Kong 64 that broke it entirely because Nintendo realized, uh, wait, what have you been promising? Yeah, exactly. So that, that, that's the kind of the conclusion of our, our second episode. We talked a bit about the mysteries. We'll, we'll you know, go more in depth of what those specifically were. But yeah. that was pretty much it, as we knew it at the time. And we just ended off that episode going, Heil, great duology. We did it. We've summarized this in five hours. This is fantastic. <laughs> and then, of course, as time continues to make fools of us all, it wasn't Paul Makachek that blew the cover off, but it wasn't even something in our own language that gave us the Rosetta Stone to translate this next bit. So we'll, we'll yeah. definitely get into that. <laughs> so 
I, I do want to recommend those two episodes for anybody who's really interested in Stop and Swap, but doesn't quite understand the minutia of what we know thus far, because it really is astounding to me, you know, the, the master plan that basically every, not, not every game, uh, but, but, most games, most rare games on the N64, starting with Banjo-Kazooie, would have some sort of connection, some sort of link where you could kick these items back and forth and unlock different stuff. And we hypothesized what those games would be. But it's just, um it's mind-reeling because we talk about the DKU, you know, how Diddy Kong Racing really launched the, the Donkey Kong universe, introducing Banjo and Conker before their own games, you know, sort of smuggling them in as friends of Diddy Kong. And, uh, you know, there, there's those strong thematic connections between Banjo-Kazooie, Conker, and Donkey Kong. But this would have gone even further than that, uh, you know, potentially Perfect Dark, a potentially dinosaur planet. We, 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 we debated back and forth what the games would actually be, but it's just, uh, really exciting for fans of that era to imagine how it would have all connected. And, uh, it makes stop and swap, which is already this sort of grand conspiracy theory among rare fans. Uh, it all the more impactful. So definitely listen to those two episodes of the conversation you can find them on youtube you can find them on soundcloud or you can find them on your preferred podcast listening network before we get into the new stuff though we do have a call this week that i want to play so why don't we listen to it and see if it guides us in our summation and our third entry of the stop and swap trilogy hey dk vine it's ray pinball calling about Stop and swap. Oh man, this was this was the thing growing up. This is what got me to use the internet to figure out what those dang ice keys, uh, well, ice key and, and question mark eggs are for, and stumbled upon the rare witch project back in the day. I used to post on there a lot. Um, yeah, just so much to talk about stop and swap. But what I really want to talk about is, um. Somehow there was an article or something that said that Banjo-Kazooie is still, to this day, um, constantly monitoring the memory addresses for the stop and swap items, or rather, it is constantly writing to memory, like a specific spot in the RAM saying, hey, he has this item, he has this item, or, or, or something, over and over again, so that should Banjo-Kazooie be swapped in, that memory would, would be there upon power down. Um, but then I also heard that Banjo Kazooie is also constantly, or on boot, would read from these memory items, so that should you uh, play Banjo Kazooie, take it out, put in Banjo Kazooie, and start Banjo Kazooie, it would see that you had Banjo Kazooie, and then unlock all of the stop and swap items. Now my question is, is that functionality actually still in the game, and could you? If you modified a Banjo-Tooie cart or just did something to the state of memory on the N64, could you basically turn on your N64 with Banjo-Kazooie and all of a sudden you have all the stop and swipe items without ever using a game shark, without entering Sandcastle codes? Basically, 
as log intended for stop and swap to work. Could you do that today um, if you could write to those specific spots in memory on the N64? That was a lot of words. Hopefully it made sense. That would be really cool. Uh, anyway, thanks, DK Vine. Love all that you do. Talk to you later. Well, thank you for the call, Ray Day Pinball. And not to put Ray Day on the spot here, but I do want to congratulate them for winning the uh, IFPA North American Pinball Championship. Ray, Ray Day actually won the championship for pinball in all of North America so uh th- that was just a couple weeks ago. Congrats, Ray Day. Living up to your surname, Pinball. And uh now you're here with us talking stop and swap. Steve, I will defer to you because I have to be honest, this is the part where my eyes sort of glaze over. W- w- a- anytime you get into code, I'm just like, all right, well... It's a magic sandcastle. I, I I don't know beyond like the in-universe mechanics of this. This is making my head hurt. Exactly. When it comes to the Donkey Kong family tree, you can of course point to me whose grandson belongs where. But when it comes to an actual coding tree, it's just it's too much. Yeah, I I understand. <laughs> yes. So uh, for for Ray Day's question there, um, which will be answered this episode, which is very exciting to kind of provide an answer on that. Um, but the interview uh, was with Paul Makachek, and that was actually on my site. And the funny thing about that is you can find it very, very, very easily through DK Vine because Heil provided a great truncated link to my site. Um, Heil, do you still have that link? Yes, Steve. I know exactly what URL you're referring to because it's dkvine.com forward slash cheat. With that URL, you will not fight. Use this instead to go to Steve's site. And you just put that in naturally, and it takes you right to this interview you did with Paul Makachek on Stop and Swap. That's right. So, yeah, on my site, it's a little bit easier to find now. The whole joke of that was Heil provided me that ULR to replace mine, which was very long and very convoluted, more so than Heil's was. But now, what if you go joke? to my site, raregamer.co.uk, you can go to interviews. And no, I mean the initial joke that we made on the first episode, because I started listing off the ULR, which I think if I recall, it's raregamer.co.uk slash Paul hyphen Makachak hyphen interview. Like, it's just this very long ULR for the stop and swap interview. But now, if you go to my site and you click interviews, it's right at the top there. 2020, it's right there, Paul Makachek. So that was the interview that Ray Day Pinball was talking about. And uh, within that interview, he he broke stop and swap down completely on a technical level. It was everything from checksums to addresses to where it searches and everything. So uh, grace, graciously, Paul provided all that information uh, through to us there. And it answered a lot of questions on how stop and swap was meant to act on a technical level. So huge, huge props to him for, for revealing that to us there. So, and yeah, so on, on from that, because, you know, the glazing over bit, I, I totally understand. Um there's a website called The Cutting Room Floor where they just exclusively look at behind-the-scenes stuff, scrap things in games, elements that didn't quite make it. And they provide that on the website almost like Wikipedia. And one of their users there named Wetarobi, uh, just two months after we did our second episode and about a year after Paul did his interview in April for us, 
uh, he was able to go through Banjo Kazooie's code, reverse engineering everything, and trying to find all the payloads and memory and stuff uh, to discover there. And I'm excited to tell, especially Radio Pinball here, he found it. He actually found the uh, payloads in memory where stop and swap is actually meant to function. And by altering those bits in memory, we can actually cause stop and swap to occur naturally in Banjo Kazooie completely as intended. So, um, I've provided a bit of an explanation on this one uh, in our show notes, Hyle. Do you, do you want to read off some of it, or, or would you rather just me geek out and <laughs> complete being nerdy? <laughs> you know, I, when we get to the more tangible stuff, I think I will participate. I want you to teach me, Steve, because I, <laughs> I don't feel like I have any authoritative voice here whatsoever when getting into the nerdy, techie stuff, as you described it. Okay, f- f- that's fair enough. Um, so basically, yeah, for the un- uninitiated, uh, when you turn on Banjo-Kazooie for the first time, just as it boots and it's loading everything that's about to happen in the introduction cutscene of the game, it checks memory. Uh, it starts scanning it for a series of what's, it's called valid checksums, right? So basically what'll happen is it finds this one area in memory called C908C52F. And when it scans that memory, it asks the game, hey, is there anything written here? And by default, it should say 0000, and then followed by 0000. And that that should, in theory, happen every single time that anybody turns on Banjo-Kazooie, especially because Stop and Swap was removed after Banjo-Kazooie came out. So it can receive no input information. It can only output things. So because it's always looking for that number and never getting it, your game will never change, in theory, uh, by playing Banjo-Kazooie or any of Rare's future titles. It, it's never going to alter that. But he ended up finding that the last four zeros in that list, the first four are checksum digits that are just there for padding. So they're always going to say zero, 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 zero. But the second four digits can actually change. And if you can alter that, that's when some really exciting stuff happens. So if that, for instance, if that digit is changed to zero, one, O, C, it tells the game, hey, here's a valid checksum. The game goes, thank you very much for that. I'm now going to make the uh, Shark Food Island area in Treasure Trove Cove raise out of the water so that they can properly get that item. So that's what he ended up finding there. And yes, to answer Radio Pinball's uh, an- uh, question there, if if you can alter those items, absolutely, you can legitimately unlock anything there. And presumably the way that it was supposed to work, just to give this whole plan in action, in Banjo-Tooie, you would go, I'm presuming here, to Captain Black Eye, where all those pink egg portraits actually are. And you would discuss with him or you'd, you know, have some kind of interaction, at which point the game would then say, hey, we need to write something to the memory using Banjo-Tooie. So in this case, it's, it's you know, writing 010C from Banjo-Tooie, and it's just putting that in memory. Once you cut the power, whether you're cold swapping or hot swapping, once the Banjo-Tooie cartridge is removed. You would then slam in Banjo-Kazooie, at which point it would then start scanning and it would go, oh, I see 010C, that means pink egg. You would then go to Treasure Trove Cove, you would go inside Shark Food Island, you'd climb up all the way to the top and probably fall off a few times because we've all been there. You would collect the pink egg, and at that point, the game would then, as Radio Pinball um, told us here... It would then start saying over and over the digit, which in this case would be 0104. So it would just be screaming that over and over to the memory. Once you had uh, had that in motion, you then take out Banjo-Kazooie, put in Banjo-Tooie. At that point, the game knows, hey, I've already said 010C to the memory. And now I'm waiting for it to then read 0104. And once it can read that, it goes, yep, it's been transferred. Let's put the pink egg into Banjo-Tooie now. So just to be clear then, this completely... 
means that the the sandcastle codes, which are so heavily associated with this process, both via you know what what people found you know after the fact and also the way the XBLA versions incorporated it the the sandcastle codes are just completely rendered moot like they're they're not even brought into this yeah and and just cuz it was meant almost as a backdoor kind of thing yeah. like they knew hey if if we couldn't get this process working perhaps we could do it another way and just as assurance they said let's do sandcastle code so that was one of the the alternate ways and i remember Heil, you took such ire with this in our first episode because you found out when the sandcastle codes got leaked you were very very upset and you at the point were saying this isn't how rare intends us to do this we shouldn't enter the codes because it probably isn't the way so i'm going to give you a second here to shout i knew it as loud as possible and have any kind of catharsis that you want so go right ahead <laughs> no look i i know i'm always right it's fine it's uh no and I, I, let me let me rephrase that i'm always right when it comes to the dku i'm wrong plenty of other places okay that that's fair <laughs> uh, so so yeah like i for since we last did our our second stop and swap episode banjo kazooie for the nintendo switch online uh, w- was was uploaded and I was able to actually experience getting the ice key and question mark eggs in Banjo Kazooie uh, w- without ruining my cartridge because with the benefit of safe states you can just immediately revert back to before you got them so uh, it was kind of just this like wonderful little sexual experience for me to finally do something very very naughty but not not to be confused with the naughty in click clock wood or or the naughty very naughty in donkey kong country just something that's very naughty in general and uh i had no consequence risk-free right so uh I, i got to have a taste of it finally on the N64 version, even if it was, you know, on the Switch. And, and absolutely. And the, the other thing, too, is that to to finally end off with Ray Day here, too, because he said, is it possible then that we could totally do this? Um, it is on emulation because you can absolutely, you know, pause the game as soon as it boots and really start altering the memory there. But in theory, this is totally possible on the Nintendo 64, provided that you have a cartridge that will just scream, you know, those checksum values over and over to the memory. So if you're, you know technically advanced or you know somebody that is and they totally know how you know the nintendo 64 works maybe with an everdrive or something like that if you can get them to give you a cartridge that screams to that absolutely unequivocally yes you can plug in banjo kazooie you take it out you put in your custom cartridge that just screams that same thing over and over and then you plug in banjo kazooie you turn it on and yeah Every location in the game from, you know, was his cave to, you know, the cyan barrel to the desert door, everything will open and it'll allow you to collect it. Now, when you do, it's going to scream all those values back to it. But unfortunately, as of yet, there is nothing that can be unlocked. If you want to, you know, ROM hack Banjo-Tooie and, and make those actually work, then yeah, we would have stop and swap as intended. But because it's lacking that second vital you know transfer we can't transfer but we can actually unlock and then send them away as completely intended by rare back in the the 90s yeah and and there's no way to really just fundamentally change what the game ended up being like banjo kazooie is one thing but banjo tooie which came out after stop and swap was already next you know you can only do so much there you can't really like change captain black eyes functionality in the game for him to actually be the facilitator of all of this but yeah in theory it's neat i suppose 
So that, that being said, though, you will now be able to legitimately collect the eggs in the ice key in your virgin cartridge copy of Banjo-Kazooie. So would you, though? That, that's the question. No, it's not legitimate. It's still, it's, <laughs> it's still cheating. It's still uh, coming up with trumped-up justifications when the true intent is still... At the very least, as promised at the end of Banjo-Kazooie, using the Banjo-Tooie cartridge you own to access the ice key, and at the very least, the pink egg in Shark Food Island in Treasure Trove Cove, and the blue egg in the Desert Door in Gobi's Valley. Uh, anything mm. else beyond that was not promised or guaranteed, so whatever, but no. I'm sorry. It's still not good enough. And, you know, I still hold out hope that one day Rare will release a special edition of Banjo-Tooie for the N64. <laughs> and, of course. And, and, They'll and, fire and, up the factory, eh? <laughs> yeah, you know. You, you're always seeing these new NES cartridges, like limited run games and whatnot. They're, they're always releasing this stuff. I'm like, how is this possible? How are you doing this? Uh, so, you know, you never know. You never know. I mean, they recently came out with GoldenEye, so the hope is there, you know? We're still going back to the N64, maybe, maybe someday. Get that factory going again, we'll get some cartridges. <laughs> all, all we need is a, a third party that Rare is uh, affiliated with, like Limited Run, to release a cartridge that makes Stop and Swap actually functionable. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's likely or it's ever going to happen, but I'm saying technically, theoretically... It's possible if they can release Battletoads for the NES, uh, you know, in, in a new edition in in the last couple of years, why not do an N64 cartridge for Banjo-Tooie? So as we do have the, the checksum list, should we read those out just in case people haven't heard the previous episodes and they're like, what are these seven mysterious items? Should we just kind of take turns reading out the checklist or, or the checksum rather? Uh, sure. So this this is the these, – these are the actual – like uh, numerical uh, amounts that would activate these. Do you want to start with the yellow? So, so zero one zero eight is it makes the yellow egg appear on Nabnut's table. So you go one digit up, you get zero one zero nine. That's the red egg that appears in the captain's cabin. Okay, okay, and then it, then it goes to letters. Uh, it goes. Zero one zero A, the green egg will pop on Lagos tank. And if you do zero one O B, that opens up Gobby's door yeah, for the blue egg in Gobby's Valley. Okay, all right. Uh, and then if you make that uh, a C, it raises Shark Food Island for the pink egg. You know, C for the C. Ah, that's that's what the whole list is based on. That's why it's ordered this way. <laughs> <What> they <laughs> use text. Uh, 010D, uh, it's the contested cyan egg in the basement of uh, Mad Monster Mansion there in the cellar. So that opens up the wine barrel that you can get the cyan egg. Why is and it contested? The most... Because uh, d- Grab by the Ghoulies, oh my god, now we're, now we're getting in the rabbit hole. In 2003, <laughs> Rare released Grab by the Ghoulies, and it made it seem like only four of the eggs were valid out of the six. And because of that, people were investigating which eggs would be valid, and they said, well, Mad Monster Mansion has X. There's an X over the barrel. Uh, clearly, that means we're not supposed to collect it. And Rare did nothing but laugh and laugh. <laughs> well, that's silly to me because there's actually an environment for the egg 
behind the wine barrel. Like the, it, aside from the desert door and shark food Island, it's the only place where there's a new environment built in just for the egg. And that makes more sense to me than an egg plopping down on the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, Anyway, so, uh, and then finally, E, E will break Waz's ice wall, or maybe melt it. I don't know what it actually does, since we never actually see the animation for for it giving way. But the ice wall will disappear, and you can go down the tunnel to get the ice key in Waz's cave. And then for all those codes, because it's interesting that it starts at 8 and goes 9. The reason it goes to A is because you're going to the next value up. And there's other things in memory that would, you know, take up the space of 0, 1, 1, something mm. or other. But, you know, from 100 to then 106, so we're actually going before that list. This is all the stuff. Once you collect an egg, everybody who has ever played Banjo-Kazooie and collected the items would have this valid checksum. So when you do, like, the yellow egg, that's, you know, 0, 100, and then it's it's ready to completely swap. And that goes right to 0, 106 for the ice keys. So everybody's experienced those, and those will happen automatically. You will not have to hack the game in any, you know, size or form or whatever. It's just, it's all ready to go once you've so, collected So it. even if you collect them via the Sandcastle codes on the N64, the codes would still be valid. Exactly. Okay, because there was debate about, you know, what, would there be some sort of lockout if you get them incorrectly, um, which is a silly thing to argue about now, considering, you know, none of the games plan to be a part of this ever actually utilize it post Banjo-Kazooie. But there there was that fear that um, the, the game would know, you know, that, that you got them through some sort of backdoor. No, as, as long as you have them in the inventory, that should be enough for the game to then recognize they've collected this item. Let's, you know, put a flag in memory. We'll, we'll alter this checksum. So now any future games that have that in the memory will know. But it would have been, yes, very clever for Rare to definitely put a trap down and, oh, you levitated over that wall. Well, that's now useless. Enjoy playing the game over again. Ah, uh, yes. If you use a game shark and do the moon jump and you you can you could actually get the ice key that I remember people getting the ice key that way I think before the sandcastle codes were even in play Absolutely. Well, because like the other items, and especially the ones that just appear, are, you know, they're not loaded into the game's memory at all. Uh, in fact, it was such a tease that anybody that didn't 100% the game and therefore didn't know about anything for Stop and Swap would have organically and naturally come across the ice key because it was hidden behind a wall in Waz's cave. So yeah. if you're just a, a newbie player that managed to fumble your way into Freeze Easy Peak, that's going to be the first item that you actually catch a glance of, uh, you know, a glimpse of through this ice wall. And you'll be like, what's that? How can I get it? Oh, I really want that. And that yeah. would entice you to then figure out more about it. And, you know, Banjo-Tooie finally let you get it in theory. So, you know, that that's all there. And, of course, people modified their games using GameShark to fly over top of that wall and drop down on the other side and got it early. And that was before we knew about codes or anything like that. And yeah, even even Heil on his site, you know, he was going around making statements back in those days to give out statements on that stuff to be like, don't do this because it might screw everything up. You well, know? yeah, and, because that's the thing about Stop yeah. and Solve. I mentioned <laughs> the save states on the Nintendo Switch Online version, but, you know, that that's such a that's such a boon for those of us who were cautious back in the day because this isn't just oh I got the ice key on this one save file it's no the ice key is then gone for the game for eternity it it's every file even new ones the entire cartridge yeah yeah, yeah. so that's why it was such a big deal and it's like <laughs> are you sure you want to do this 
Which, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's a valid assertion, but luckily there was nothing in there preventing. It was just the absolute, you know, decline and, and destruction of stop and swap that would have left us away from those anyways. So right. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so where does this go from here? So we, we know that Banjo-Tooie has nothing in it because it was canceled in Donkey Kong 64 before, you know, that game even released. So the team would have had no time to implement anything from that. And we know, obviously, from, from this episode in so far, that Banjo-Kazooie can absolutely use those codes. It can, it can receive and output information towards stop and swap. But is there a game in Rare's library that came out with some feature, some kind of vestige of stop and swap still intact? And the answer is yes. In our second episode, we, we talked about Donkey Kong 64. And yeah. because it was so close to the finish line, because we they were almost ready to put it out with stop and swap before Nintendo swooped in, unfortunately, with their, their ultimatum uh, with that letter... Um, there is stuff that they tried to hide and they roped off and we're taking peeks behind whether it's a legitimate method or an illegitimate method. But we know that there is stuff hidden in Donkey Kong 64. And those mysteries that we found last time now finally have answers. Yeah. So this is what's exciting to me, like code and whatever. It, it, it's not not over my head, but it just doesn't fascinate me. Right. Because that's just sort of the universe breaking uh, stuff i don't really like i i really get into the fanciful stuff steve i i i, I am a man of magic and mirth and mm. so what what really fascinates me is in the game environment itself how would stop and swap have worked with donkey kong 64 and there have been many theories over the years about like what it would actually do, what it would entail. And while we don't have all of the answers, you have been a regular Sherlock in trying to source all available information that, that is already out there worldwide on this topic. And you have made some startling discoveries that wouldn't have actually been discoveries for people natively of these regions who had access to these publications or materials. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, when, when, like, especially in 1999, we were starting to become a more global community, but this is pre-social media, you know, language barriers were still very much a thing because, you know, translators weren't as efficient or capable as they are now. So, there was still this divide, you know, with the English speaking world or the, you know, German speaking parts of Europe or, you know, Japan, you know, we, we kind of like closed off. And so it's fascinating to explore the mysteries of stop and swap during this time period because there is stuff that has been overlooked for a long, long time. Exactly. And just to, to catch everybody up with the two mysteries, we discussed them in the previous episode, but um, there's, and I've actually theorized myself on it. I, I posted on DK Vine forums about, it's called the, the mystery pillar. And this was something that really confused and kind of mystified the community for a really long time. Um, in the final or the penultimate level, it's right before Hyde Helm. There's a level called Creepy Castle in Donkey Kong 64. And I know, Heil, that I am preaching to the choir right now of all the conversation viewers that go, I've played Donkey Kong 64. I've seen the swinging lights and the swinging vines. I know everything about this game. But <laughs> what they might not have known is that on the other side, in, in Creepy Castle, it's a haunted level. In the museum, there's a pillar. And 
it's it's just set up like a museum so it's for display it's to have something on top of it um but in the final game when people got to that level they looked through the glass and they said well i just see a pillar and there's nothing on this pillar i don't i don't know what this is intended to do and it it perplexed people so much that people actually wrote into scribes asking about it you know trying to get to the bottom and rare's official response they said well it was supposed to be for something now it isn't put it out of your mind you know like it's the same way that we had termites originally planned for fungi forest and we scrapped that idea in the stump this is yet another thing where we had an idea for something then we didn't don't worry about it but you know what we will worry about it we'll we'll obsess over it for the next decade and a half because or two decades now even geez you know because that's what we do we we comb through things so that was the the first iteration that we had this kind of mystery that we didn't know anything about it so the second mystery was within Crystal Caves. Um, it's level right before Creepy Castle. There's a wall that's very curious um, that you can approach as Chunky Kong. And the interesting thing about it is there's a lot of really lofty challenges within Crystal Caves. And the first golden banana that you can get with Chunky Kong is just stepping on a pad, pressing Z, and a banana will just appear. In, in a level that has you, you know, completing things like beaver bother and stuff like that. It seems very hand wavy. And that confused a lot of people. And it, it I know, Hyle, you don't like the, uh, the coding stuff, but there's a glitch, uh, within the code of the game that you can really abuse to cause a cutscene to begin early. Um, and the way that this works is you can go through, um, the intro cutscene in the menu for Donkey Kong 64. And if you play that cutscene and it begins, if you can back out of it before the game officially prompts, uh, the main menu to stop and the main cutscene to start. So you're kind of in between spaces. Once you exit from that menu, you'll n- notice that the main menu has no sound in it. And the reason that it doesn't have sound in it is because the game logic is saying, basically declaring, okay, he's actually watching the cutscene right now, so we don't want to have the main menu interrupting all this action with, you know, the Kremlings running back and forth and stuff, so let's mute that. So once you've got confirmation that, hey, this music isn't working, you can then go into your file and start manipulating things around the game, because as far as the game knows, oh, this cutscene is still going on, so ignore anything the player does unless they die. Because if they die, then we have to respawn them to the coordinates that they last died in. So if you can die in front of Donkey Kong's treehouse, the game will interrupt its own cutscene at, I believe it's 2 minutes and 30 seconds. You have to get the timing down. It will then say, okay, play a cutscene that has Donkey Kong's treehouse. And funny enough, with Stop and Swap, the first cutscene that Rare put in the memory of Donkey Kong 64 was the cutscene of this uh, camera going through DK's treehouse and landing on the corner of this room Mm -hmm. and then it fades out it rather spins out with the donkey kong 64 logo and has you reappearing in crystal caves just in front of that kind of weird area that we don't really know anything about um and this is further what really solidified this is the uh german version uh or the japanese version rather on on nintendo's website for donkey kong 64 had this great uh gif image of Donkey Kong standing in front in his treehouse, and instead of an empty corner that we have ore or minerals or something in, there's actually a uh, a fridge, like a freezer that has Banjo and Kazooie's face on it. So putting those two together, you go, okay. So at one point we were supposed to enter Donkey Kong's treehouse. Uh, we were supposed to go maybe inside of this, or maybe just witness it opening, maybe, and then we'd we'd be warped to Crystal Caves. Like the camera would just go have a transition, and then we're standing in front of that wall, ready to do something. But from there, we didn't really know. 
what it was meant to do. And of course, the biggest revelation was, hey, in the memory of Donkey Kong 64, there's meant to be the ice key. You were supposed to have collected that item at some point. But of course, in the final version, it's it's erased right away. And we still have it in the memory. And it still is permanently collected. But there's no transferability from Donkey Kong 64 at that stage from Banjo-Kazooie. Right. So those were the, the two big mysteries that we had in the first game, yeah. Yeah, and the pillar in Creepy Castle was, you know, I didn't think too much of this back in the day. I, I definitely never thought, at, at least back in 1999 or 2000, that it had anything to do with Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, because, you know, this was before stop and swap was even known terminology. Th- this was just the ice key and the two eggs we're going to play in a Banjo-Tooie. Like, you weren't even thinking about Donkey Kong 64. So I never put two and two together here. And it's like, oh, the pillar is empty because it obviously was going to uh, hold a secret that you could unlock utilizing Banjo-Kazooie's items. I just thought, oh, you know, it, it was maybe a gold banana or something that they moved or or whatever, mm-hmm. like rejiggered. It doesn't really matter. And of course, we had fun with the pillar on DK Vine, where we, we tricked people into thinking that this is where the scroll of gameplay that Cranky Snarkly mentions in the instruction manual would actually be located. Not, you know, people didn't realize that that was just Cranky's humor saying you needed to find the scroll of gameplay because the gameplay was so poor, uh, but you'll never find it because the gameplay is so poor. Uh, you know, but people think, oh, that's an actual item to find in Donkey Kong 64. So, you know, you crude uh, Photoshop of, I think, something from Zelda Ocarina of Time on there. It looks like a scroll. Ah, a scroll again. I think the, the dungeon map, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that, that's, that was kind of uh, our little contribution to the urban legends of that time. But yeah, the, the, the pillar, you know, I never really got worked up about the pillar. It, it, for for whatever reason, the mysteries of Crystal Caves, which aren't as apparent, something read as wrong to me immediately with Crystal Caves. Like just just the whole vibe of it was almost screaming to me. There should be something here and there's not. And I don't know why that was, why I was really picking up on that. But it was this this kind of sixth sense that I had back in the day that I just couldn't shake, that there there was something going on. Of course, I saw that early screenshot of the Banjo-Kazooie freezer or, or refrigerator or whatever you want to define it as. People call it a shower stall. I don't think it's a shower stall. I think it has to do with the ice key. But I remember seeing that and being like conscious of the fact that they changed it before release. And it was just like, well, that's weird. Why, why did they change that? Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. And I guess in the back of my head, in my subconscious, maybe I was putting the pieces together, but I just couldn't see the full picture. And and that's as far as I go into it, unfortunately with me, and I think one of the things actually, the reason that you might have had that feeling about Crystal Caves is as you approach the wall in Crystal Caves, the camera does this weird spin where it totally looks like you should be able to carry on and there's nothing there. It's just like, look at this wall. And you're mm-hmm. like, it's a wall. I've, I've seen those many, many times in Donkey Kong 64. Right. So it could have been kind of that hint there, maybe, you know, but it it is a very mysterious level, as you say. And I can totally... um 
relate with the pillar because it's just one of those mysteries there that, you know, even in my playing of Donkey Kong 64, I passed that you know, hundreds of times without ever thinking about it. And of course, I posted on Donkey Kong or, or on uh, TKU, a theory of mine going, you know, is is this potentially one of the places where a stop and swap egg was supposed to appear? You know, we'd have a, a stop and swap egg appear on this pillar. It's kind of similar in Banjo-Kazooie where you have the ice key. So you have this wall that you can see through and an item that's very tantalizing that you can't get. So, you know, maybe there's something there, but that's as far as I went with it. And I always, it was concrete that, well, it's going to be an item that's exclusive to Banjo Kazooie. It's going to be an egg. It's going to be a key. It's going to be something of that. And of course, I couldn't have been more wrong. So it, it makes sense that it would have at one point in development held something significant because I don't even think I realized this, but if you look up, if you look up above the pillar, there is one of those aforementioned swinging lamps. <laughs> right above it, as if to say, like, hey, this right here, it is important. Like, we're going to shine a light on this pillar um, with, with one of our fancy uh, heaving lamps um, that Donkey Kong 64 is so known for. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's actually surprising how simple it was for you to figure this out, Steve. And when I say simple, it still required a lot of legwork and uh, financial contributions, I yeah. guess, on your part. But it, it was right in front of us the whole time. But I would have never thought, oh, I should really investigate foreign players' guides to figure out if anything got published before the deadline um, before Rare could let everyone know, hey, this is no longer going to factor into the game. So, yeah, for what Hyle's alluding to here, uh, there's a website that's absolutely brilliant. It's called archive.org. I've actually used it a lot on the old Rareware site to kind of check out all the old renders they used to upload, the scribes and things like that. It's brilliant for something called the Wayback Machine. And the other thing that people do, especially, you know, nerdy people like us, we love seeing uh, old Rare games from the past, old renders, old strategy guides. And there's people all over the world that are contributing things like, you know, these old uh, Nintendo Power magazines and stuff like that to upload to bring to a wider community. Community. So we were actually very fortunate in that there was a, um, a scanner named Scandal D. So scan for scanning, dull, so it's like scandal, and then DE for Germany, for Deutschland, right? And he managed to upload a German version of the Donkey Kong 64 Player's Guide up to archive.org. So I was able to click through and, and check that out. And both, I think Heil and I can totally relate to this. Like, when Rare would ship out these renders to different magazines, some would use them and some wouldn't. Some would go, oh, we have enough, in, you know, area on this page to put this Tiny Kong render here, and we'll flip it over and put this chunky one over there. And other, you know, players or other magazine manufacturers around the world would decide to change up the template and everything like that for their composition. So... If you look at old strategy guides in different languages, if you're geeky and nerdy like us, which I, you know, strongly encourage, you'll find these really hidden secret renders that were never meant to be seen by your American or Canadian eyes. You know, it's fantastic checking that out. So I was looking through this Donkey Kong 64 player's guide thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Like, I'm already about 30 pages in. I'm already seeing all these, you know, renders that we've only maybe seen maybe on Rare's website or the Japanese version of Donkey Kong 64. And, of course, in those days, you had to make every, you know, kilobyte count. So they were often uploaded as GIF images, so there's less color. Uh, they're all shrunken and compressed and, you know, very pixelated. So just seeing a new render where it's blown up and it's full scale and you're going, oh, fantastic. I can see every, you know, bit of this render that, you know, would have been silicon-based for the, for the machine there. It's excellent. 
And then I came across something very, very curious on page 71. So I flip over and I check out Crystal Caves and I'm looking at the ma- the, uh, the map here and I go, well, this is interesting because they're simply sharing resources between Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Europe. And I assume that Nintendo of Japan is the same way. They're all kind of making their own guides at the same time. Yeah. But there's something odd about Crystal Caves because in the area where usually we have just a circular room, the German version of Donkey Kong 64 has a room carrying on from that. So it's another square, almost closet-like area that appears there. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, hold on. This was very close to the end of Donkey Kong 64's release, and they probably told Nintendo of America to take it out. But that message maybe wasn't translated to German in time, (laughs) or maybe even Japanese. So maybe. So at that point, I get very excited, and I'm clicking through, because now I'm trying to get to Creepy Castle, because I think, hey, if they've actually altered this for the American version, if we got this Stalin-esque, you know, erasing from history, this never existed thing, maybe we have this preserved as well in Creepy Castle. And sure enough, once I turn to that page... To, to reach Creepy Castle in 81, I go, first of all, they have a pillar, which is different from our guide, because our guide, it completely erased the existence of the pillar even. Mm. But more exciting than that, there's a golden Donkey Kong statue, like a bust mm. on top of this pillar. So we now have final confirmation. This is what was supposed to be on that pillar. And I've looked through the entire guide. Those are the only two changes from you know, the American version and the European version for for Germany is that we have an extra room in Crystal Caves and we have an extra Donkey Kong golden statue that we would have been able to collect in Creepy Castle. Yeah, so this is like a squat, like um, almost um, exaggerated bust of, of Donkey Kong. And Steve, I know you don't play games that rare didn't have any hand in, so you'll ha- you'll have to trust me on this. But it reminds other companies. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff you would see in the temple stages of Donkey Kong Country Returns. Sort of the ancient iconography of Donkey Kong Island established by Retro, presumably by the Tiki Tac tribe, which were. It's it's assumed to be ancient Kongs themselves. So the, these like representations of what looks like Donkey Kong, but might be great ancestors of Donkey Kong. But it looks almost exactly like that. It brings to mind immediately sort of the, the little details you'll see in DKC Returns. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh my God, like this was going to be on the pillar. And presumably... It was going to be a collectible object, but how you would have obtained it would have probably been rooted in Stop and Swap. Absolutely. So as soon as I saw that, I posted on Twitter. It was on June 10th of, of 2022. And I just grabbed screenshots of both the area in the American Guide and the, the German Guide. And I just posted them both going, here's the area. Here's the, the you know creepy castle and crystal caves. There it is right there. And immediately I drove to Amazon to their page and just went, I need this copy of this guide immediately. Ordered it in. It came to my house. I'm looking in it and I'm going, okay, it's not a forgery. It's not a fake. He, he scanned it literally. This yeah. is as it should be. And then from there, I, I got into some very foolish financial choices <laughs> because I, de- I decided, hey, if the German version of Donkey Kong 64 guide is different than the American, then perhaps the Japanese version has their own arm and perhaps we can find more information in that guide there. So 
completely going for broke because I can't understand a word or a kanji of Japan. I just type in Donkey Kong 64 guide into Google Translate. I put it over to, um, you know, to, to Japanese. I put that into eBay on, you know, eBay.jp and a bunch of guides come up. And of course, I don't know the contents. I don't know what is in. So I, I saw the first three and it just went buy this, buy that, buy that. <laughs> so all three came relatively at the same time. And I looked through the first one and it was all hand-drawn maps. So I went, you're useless. You, you came out a year after <laughs> and you hand-drew everything. <laughs> Throw you to the side. I grabbed so the wait, second wait, guide. Wait, you know, wait, wait, Steve. These were unofficial guides then. Yes, unfortunately so, because the unofficial kanji is, is probably something that would have detected me if I could speak the language, but unfortunately, I'm just going with what I got, so I'm looking through it. And, 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 and can, can I just say that these were like the, the absolute, pardon my language here, dog shit of the player's guide <laughs> libraries of this era, because you would get these unofficial guides that would get everything wrong, and they wouldn't be able to use official artwork at all. So you would get these abstractions. And I, I mean, the, the, the biggest sinner of the bunch, I would say, I, I don't, I forget which company it was that did the Diddy Kong Racing Guide here in the States, that the unofficial Diddy Kong Racing Guide, where they said that Banjo was a hound dog. So, you know, like, that that's just about as bad as that unofficial guide to Mario that was just published uh, to tie in with the Super Mario Brothers movie where they gave little biographies on various characters and Diddy Kong was included under current babies and and it said that Diddy was first introduced in 1982's Donkey Kong 2 but wasn't named until 1994's Donkey Kong Country just, yeah, I, I I can't really decide which is the more egregious error of the two, Banjo the Hound Dog or all of that mess, but I hate them both. Anyway, continue. So yeah, the second guide, much of the same. Uh, better quality maps, but it was released in the year 2000. So it wasn't made during the production of 64. A lot of these magazines were rather reactionary. So okay. they would grab an official guide, copy all the work, and then just try and, you know, as you said, they hand draw it. So it's very unofficial. Which is wild because like a lot of these unofficial guides, they would at the very least have maybe have press copies or, you know, something of the game itself where they are able to get out in front as much as possible, have it on shelves. But th these are just reactionary. They're basically just like us. You know, regular folk who are just, uh, you know, getting these materials as they actually release the stores and then they're scrambling to come up with their own ripoff versions. It's fascinating to me. Exactly. So with, with those two there, I mean, you know, it's the unofficial guides that I'm, I'm looking through. And by the third magazine, I'm now feeling kind of queasy because I'm like, man, did I just waste a lot of yen trying to get these, you know, guides to my house here? But luckily, the final. A guide that was like opening up the golden ticket for Willy Wonka, you know, like it had Crystal Caves intact. It was actually an isometric view, so you kind of saw it from the top side, kind of like night lore. Metric view. There you go. Yeah, ukulele. Um, so it was an isometric view like that, and uh, it showed the dimensions of the cave. So now we know exactly how high it would have been. It's a closet-sized thing, so it wouldn't have continued up like an elevator. You know, you can never tell with the Nintendo-produced guides because it was all from the top down. So this guy actually gave us dimension for it. It would have, you know, followed everything like that. But the more enticing thing about the Japanese version is that they actually didn't delete the text that they were referring to um, with their guide. So if we look at 
in terms of censorship, how effective each region was. In America, they were completely Stalinesque. They went, we're going to get rid of any text. We're going to get rid of any image. We're actually going to go above and beyond so much. We delete the pillar that should be in the guide because we're just going to go for broke and delete so much anyway that they, it was a complete removal. If you were an American viewer reading or American reader, rather, uh, viewing this magazine, you would have no indication whatsoever that anything was hidden. Today in America, they just get rid of the books entirely. Exactly. <laughs> so the second guide in Europe, they were partially effective that they, they got rid of all the texts. So anything alluding to that golden Donkey Kong trophy completely missing. Um, you know, the, the ice key had the dimensions, but no indication of what was there. The difference was the Japanese guys left that in. So even though the Japanese guy doesn't have the golden trophy, they must have got to that in time just because it was physical there. Um, the Crystal Caves origin point for that chamber has a arrow pointing toward it with an image of Chunky Kong. And luckily for them, they were able to come in there and go, hey, Rare is not going to put uh, this in the game anymore. So we need to replace the image of Chunky at this wall. And funny enough, they just replaced it with a picture of Chunky at a wall. And it still has the text there. So you go, what are you showing me exactly? Because this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, it's it's part of the course because they went, we're just getting rid of it. We'll replace the image and everything, but not the text. And if you read it, if you can translate the text, which uh, a few uh, users on Twitter were very helpful with this and Google Translate as well through their lens program, it says a mysterious item exclamation point question mark underneath. It says, I can't see inside, but it certainly feels like something should be in there. When will it open? And then there's a little bit of text underneath that that says, could Chunky punch through this? Kind of saying, like, you know, the the previous area, there was an ice wall that Chunky could push through. But, of course, with this one here, it would have been reliant on Banjo because you, uh, you wouldn't have been able to get anywhere with it. But they just kind of made an allusion to it. So I've just, yeah, that, that would have been the huge bl- uh, blocked icy cave with a keyhole, as described in the patent that we ended up getting in 2004. So... I'm assuming it would have been this large icy door in place of that wall with a keyhole and we couldn't see through it. It was an opaque surface and they were just teasing in the guide going, hey, something's beyond here. There's something mysterious here, but you won't be able to get it yet. For those questioning the the player's guides not coming out and saying this is how you do it because isn't that what player's guides are supposed to do? Keep in mind that here in the the States, uh, the, the Nintendo Power produced Banjo-Kazooie Player's Guide never made any reference to the Ice Key or or anything else. It never even came up on the last page of the guide. It just completely ignored everything. And this is when Stop and Swap was in play. So it, it that that is that level of hinting of teasing is more than we ever got um on, on this side of the Pacific. And even to kind of you know backpack on to, to Banjo-Kazooie. Um, with the maps there, they didn't ever show Waza's Cave as a map. They mm. they showed the honeycomb, like the empty honeycomb piece that you were supposed to get in that level, but they never outright said, here's a map of it, because then, of course, they would have to draw the ice key. They'd have to show yeah. that secret area. So there could have been in place something like that where they were avoiding it, or they're just lazy. <laughs> One of the two. It, it, it's, it's funny, though, because like Ray Day said um, in the call that that's what, you know, really brought them online in the first place was searching for answers for all of this. And it's, you know, not quite as linear for me, but it definitely was what really got me um, first dipping my toes in the, 
the online video game fandom in the summer of 98. It's how I found Rare's website, which had just launched um, a couple months prior. And because I, I was like, the player's guy doesn't say anything about this. And uh, there was uh, some unaffit like third party video game magazine at the time that I don't think it was in publication for too long. But uh, the the author of the article for Banjo-Kazooie brought all of this stuff up and was like, I don't know. Do you have any answers? And uh, they provided their email address. So I emailed them and I was like, hey, hey. I, I'm wondering this too. Have you found out anything since this magazine went to print? And they've actually responded and said, no, no. And so it was kind of this, the first taste I had of like communicating with people online about Banjo-Kazooie, about Rare, uh, about the DKU. It, it was enthralling. It, it was, I, I felt so empowered, even though I had no answers. So it, it was just, uh, it was a wild time for the, for those who, weren't there who didn't experience it as the game was brand new it was this captivating mystery that you know had we known it actually extended into donkey kong 64 of all things i think that would have just melted our little faces off but alas we we had no idea at the time but so so yeah steve like what are your theories then on how this connects to the pillar in, in Creepy Castle, because if the pillar has this golden Donkey Kong statue, well, how does that relate to this um, ice, like locked ice door in, in Crystal Caves? So as I said before, those are the only two areas that are removed entirely from the American version to the German version. So I'm making the assumption there, they must have something to do. And because Rare has said on their site, this was, to do something that we planned and then we didn't do it. That's obviously referring to stop and swap. So looking at those two things together, what I'm assuming during play, what would happen is you would enter the museum, usually as you do as Chunky Kong, and you would try and go for his golden banana, which is at the very end of the level. And you would pass this museum window. And in our version of the game, there's a warp pad that Tiny Kong can use to get into that room. Mm -hmm. But it's much like the ice key where you would see a wall of glass and then a pillar with something on it that you'd obviously want to get. It's very tantalizing. You go, ooh, I'm already collecting golden bananas. I really want this golden trophy. And I believe at the time, either you might not have been able to get it. The other odd thing is, too, there's a purple balloon on the German guide, which means you could go into that room. So they had something there, whether they were going to keep that balloon hostage unless you could stop and swap, or even if the, the golden pillar might have been an NPC. You know, because if you're going, if you can get here, surely you'd be able to collect it. But if it's speaking to you and maybe giving you instruction on how you're supposed to get stop and swap done, you know, that could be a thing there. The problem is, as much evidence as we have toward these things actually existing, we don't know the functionality of them. So it's, it, there's a lot of guesswork there saying, is this a collectible item? Is this an NPC? Could you get behind this wall? I would like to think that you couldn't. My, my gut instinct tells me, even though there's that purple balloon there, that you would go into this area, you would see that statue, go, I really want to get that. This is just like that damn ice key in Banjo-Kazooie that I can't get either. I'm frustrated. I want to find some answers. And like Heil said, you know, you wax nostalgic going, I went on the internet, I checked it out. And to that point, you know, they might have said, oh, you're going to need to get the ice key to do this step and then, you know, get into the museum for, to get the golden statue. And perhaps the wall would be missing once you got the, you know, whatever reward was in that cave. So... You know, these these things all add up to each other. It's a it's a wild goose chase of one thing leading on to the next, you know, as stop and swap is. But 
as far as we know now, those two places in Donkey Kong 64 would have been entirely dependent on stop and swap. And to that point as well, we don't know if just Banjo and just Donkey Kong would have been enough. We don't know if you would have just gone from Banjo-Kazooie to Donkey Kong, get the ice key that way, go forth, and solve it. You might have had to wait an extra year on top of that for Banjo-Tooie to come out to even get the ice key. So, you know, we, we can speak about, you know, what, what, what points you believe on that, whether we would have had to wait, or do you think they would have been outright with it in Donkey Kong 64? Well, yeah, what, what's crazy to me is, because I'm thinking, okay, so what if, what if... Because this Golden Kong statue feels very much like the Ice Key or, or, or the Eggs in that it feels like this, this wouldn't necessarily be the reward for everything. What if you are then supposed to take the Golden Kong statue into another game? <laughs> and, and, and it just continued this madness where, you know, we, we've in, in our heads limited stop and swap to the Ice Key and the six Eggs. What if each game was then to introduce their own, at at the very least, one stop and swap item that would be thrown into the pot? So it wouldn't just be the items from Banjo-Kazooie. It it would then be the Golden Kong statue and... uh, like uh, like I don't even I don't even I don't even know like uh, what what you would have in Perfect Dark or, or Dinosaur Planet or whatever games would have been roped into this, uh, but but that is just so tantalizing to me because you know it's literally burned onto my T-shirt that I'm wearing right now like the the holy iconography. Of stop and swap. What if there were more though? And it wasn't just what related to Banjo Kazooie. What if, yeah, here, here's the Donkey Kong item. Here's the perfect dark item. Here's the conquer item. Here's the dinosaur planet mm. item. Um, maybe here's the Banjo Tooie item that, that's wholly unique for Banjo Tooie. Uh, like that, that is just like that is the next level steve like we we are so far beyond where we were before now we're talking about like all new objects well and that that also indicates too we we know what was supposed to be on the pillar and we know that there was supposed to be an ice door that we unlock with the ice key that all checks out but what do you think was behind the ice key door well so the the thing about stop and swap that we have to really come to terms with is even as we peel back the layers of these eggs and um, we, we learn that it went, it went so far beyond what we initially thought, ultimately the, the resolution, the rewards for all of this were a little bit more muted than we imagined back in the summer of 1998 because we are, of course, a picturing Secret, the secret world in Banjo-Kazooie, you know, the lava world or Hammerhead Beach, um, you know, s- something like that. But uh, it, it was never um, going to be that grand. It, it was going to be basically what Banjo-Tooie gave us. Here is this little cosmetic tweak to Kazooie. She can now breathe fire. Here are these little codes, throwaway codes that you can get. Um, it, it was never going to be as ridiculous as our fevered imaginations sort of imagine it to be. So I can't imagine that behind this ice key door in Crystal Caves, it would have been something 
so terrific that, you know, it would completely change the landscape to Donkey Kong 64. It might have been something as simple as this is how you unlock Crusha in multiplayer. That that could be. Yeah, that's the thing about Stop and Swap too. We're we're kind of led by the hand by Rare as well because they do like to mock us. Let's be honest, you know, with our, our theories and oh, fandom oh, as they, nuts they, and bullshit. They didn't grab by the Ghoulies, right? Like absolutely, yeah, the, whole secret level, yeah, yeah. The, the the chalkboard in grab by the Ghoulies is in no way representative of their actual plans for Stop and Swap. That was all just a, a red herring after the fact. Yeah, and with that too, like. You know, we've been led astray so many times that it does kind of, you know, muddy the waters for any kind of speculation. But as you said, it could very well be Crusha or, you know, another cosmetic change within Donkey Kong 64. I know in the first episode, we discussed the possibility of what if you could play as these different connectable characters? You know, what if you could be Donkey Kong in, in Banjo-Tooie? What if you could be Banjo in Donkey Kong 64? I think that's, a you know, because the other teams would have been kind of involved in this process, I think that's probably an accurate theory, or if not, just, you know, wishful thinking. You know, I ended up posting on the forums for DK Vine of, you know, my perfect stop and swap theory. And of course, as we discussed in the former episode, you know, we had a caller call in that said, uh, I think it was Don Tessier, um, that, you know, he had this great theory about, you know, Captain Blubber and, and Jolly Rogers the Goon, and he went off and, and paragraphs of information. And then, of course, everybody called him an idiot, and they said, it's not this, we know what Stop and Swap is. But, I mean, there is a certain point where fanciful thinking does have to kind of take over between this bit of logic and hardened fact, you know? Like, I, I'm saying this even knowing that there's evidence in the magazine and everything that I've found in German. It's like, well, mm. it doesn't particularly solve a scenario. It just gives us the next step. You know, and, and your imagination just takes over from there. So although there isn't a cyan egg in Creepy Castle, there's a golden Donkey Kong trophy in Creepy Castle. So it gives us that next step of, well, what does that do then? You know, and I've, I've done my due diligence trying to interview, you know, a lot of former Rare employees and stuff. And I've reached out to Kev Bayless, even Tim Stamper, I've reached out to embarrassingly enough to being like, please, you know, but I haven't gotten any, any answer from him, unfortunately. But even with Kev Bayless, he was very nice to, you know, um, get me in touch with Mark Stevenson and stuff just to kind of discuss the levels, uh, like, cause he was the, the designer of the levels and stuff like that. But yeah. even then they're looking at it like we can't remember because it was 25 years ago, you know, near or less, like it's 23. So I can't fault them for not remembering because it was something that was almost in it, then it wasn't, and then 25 years have passed. So if only we'd found the magazine sooner. <laughs> That's the, the, the sickness of all of this, isn't it, Steve? Because to us, this is basically the the holy words of god right like the, the, we 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 hang on every aspect of all of this whereas to them the, i mean it still means a great deal to the people who worked on these games obviously but th they don't remember it as well as we do it, it's it's like exactly. when people you know quote something from the conversation to me from a few years ago and i struggled to recall it because to me it was just another episode you know like i i'm sorry i don't remember that so i think the closer you get to the creative process of anything the harder it is to retain details whereas if you're an observer on the outside and you're really into it then it's easier to like uh absorb everything and and to know it with encyclopedic knowledge and, and yeah it, the passage of time will continue to dull their memories when it comes to all of this i'm surprised paul makachek remembers as much as he does you know i i know he was the primary architect of stop and swap at least you know 
getting the ball rolling or, or eggs rolling or, or what have you. Or even being able to salvage that document too from that fax. I mean, those things should just be you know, incinerated or grinded up by the end of the year. You know, it's from 1999, but he was able to find it within the archives, which is amazing, you know? Well, another frustrating thing about all of this is, you know, the the Golden Kong statue on, on the pillar in Creepy Castle is so tantalizing. And then, of course, you know, as I brought up, well, we, we know what six games were planned initially to be involved in the stop and swap process. And we speculated on the past episodes about what those six games could be. But that was at the uh, outset of stop and swap in 1998. Things quickly evolved behind the scenes at Rare as, you know, by the time we got to Donkey Kong 64, which w- was supposed to have been the second game to be involved in the process. That's where it got cut off dead and so we we can you know go back to 1998 and say well what would have been the items then in in 12 tales conquer 64 or or perfect dark or dinosaur planet but the the truth of the matter is they never got that far thinking about it to ever actually conceive anything so it it's just within the realm of speculation and hypothesis we'll, we'll never actually know because there's not actually an answer not at least you know in this timeline in this universe now having having said that having said that though should we then go to back to kind of what we know in Donkey Kong 64 because we have all these pieces that are half finished that we do know a plan of how they were going to work. Should we kind of walk the viewers through what was intended, knowing what's in the memory, what's being searched for? Absolutely, because I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Sorry, we've kind of skipped over it. But um, so we know that there's a shower in DK's treehouse. We know there's a door in Crystal Caves. And we know that there's, you know, a trophy that, you know, somehow was supposed to play into this. And we know now, of course, that Banjo-Kazooie scans and checks memories. So if Banjo-Tooie wasn't factored into this yet, if it was if it was completely unlockable from Banjo-Kazooie to Donkey Kong 64, this is the proposed solution of what would actually work, right? You would start up Donkey Kong 64. It's all detailed in the patent that you would go into that cave and you would find a lever. We Here's the gap. We don't know whether it would have been a literal lever or something would have happened. But anyways, a flag would have been written to memory that would have allowed you to come back to the ice key in Banjo-Kazooie. It would have written down 010E. Or sorry, that's the the code. Yeah, 010E. That would have been the ice key. So you you rip out Donkey Kong 64. You put in Banjo-Kazooie. You go to Freeze Easy Peak. And now that tantalizing ice key that you watched for a year at this point, instead of 20 years for us, you know, like you would have seen uh, the ice key there obtainable. You would have grabbed it. It would have been screaming, of course, the address back to me. It, it would so have I, been. Let, let me just clarify here. The ice in Waz's cave would have vanished because you pulled a lever in Donkey Kong 64. As far as we know from the patent, yes. Okay. It wouldn't have actually, it would have been broken. So there would have been a shattering. It still okay. would have had the same thing as the, the codes. So you'd grab the ice key in, in the level there. It would scream back 0106. To, to then tell Donkey Kong 64, hey, this key is ready to be grabbed and utilized in Donkey Kong 64. You would then start up Donkey Kong 64. What I'm assuming would happen, they found a cutscene um, that they've since uploaded to YouTube on, on this unused cutscene compilation of Crystal Caves coming into view in that door where it would have been, and then it would have faded out. So that would have been the first indication that, hey, you should go check this out. This is kind of interesting. At that point, you would have gone to Crystal Caves. You would have used the ice key to unlock the door, collected who knows what, 
And at that point, as soon as you collected that item, it would have played that cutscene in Donkey Kong 64 of the shower door opening up. It would have then taken you back to uh, Crystal Caves, where you were then encouraged, hey, just like we showed you this cutscene of this opening up here, we're now showing you a cutscene of what's now impacted and changed from the environment there. You would then go back to Donkey Kong's treehouse, and at that point... Your imagination can run wild. We don't know, you know, I've, I've speculated, oh, you go in the shower and it's like a transformation, like a mumbo transformation. The, the door shuts, or not a shower, freezer, whatever. It opens up and then now you're another character and now you can run around and play as this character kind of thing like that. But for what we know, that's, that's the intended function of Donkey Kong 64. We just don't know that one last crucial piece of what it actually would have changed in the environment. And hey, it might have been Crusher. Who knows? You know, like we, we don't know that fact. As tantalizing as it is to imagine Banjo and Kazooie popping out of that freezer or shower <laughs> stall or whatever and be, be like, oh, we're in this game now. Let's go. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's almost as unlikely as the entrance to the lava world rising up in the lava chamber in Grunty's lair. You know, like that's absolutely that, yeah. that that's pretty <laughs> fanciful thinking, especially because that would just completely break Donkey Kong 64, a game that's already pretty broken as is. But it would help the DKU. I mean, if, if we're playing Jet Force characters in, in DK64, you know, that's <laughs> that sorts ah, but, that out. But here's the thing, Steve. <laughs> Once again, I, I have to point out that it is very unlikely that Jet Force was ever supposed to play a part in any of this. That is very true. It came yep. out like it came out right before all of this drama with DK64 happened. So if there was any stop and swap functionality in Jet Force, it would have already been found. Exactly. And with that one, in that case specifically, too, I think the idea was, hey, we're going to also put stop and swap in Jet Force. Oh, it's already out. (laughs) (laughs) It was very close to it where they went, no, there's no time. All right. DK64 is going to be our our start. Yeah. What what an absolutely insane uh, rabbit hole that we've had for the past 23 years. huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it just really like as much as I want to like dive into Conquer's Bad Fur Day. I know, like, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, as it stands, would have never played a part in Stop and Swap, given how squeamish Nintendo already was about having this M-rated game. Like, oh, oh, hey, kids, guess what? You can connect it to Donkey Kong 64. That's right. Uh, you'll get all sorts of good stuff if you connect Conquer's Bad Fur Day to Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Kazooie. What? So hide it from your parents. <laughs> You know, Tim Stamper's been teasing uh, his working cartridge of 12 Tales Conquered 64 on social media. And I'm just like, oh, what would Conquer have had? Would it have been like the the golden acorn? Oh, no, oh, there you go. Or like the, the, the stop and swap egg that appears in Nabnut's room. Oh, what if you took that egg into Conquer? Uh, you know, yeah. y- y- your mind plays all sorts of tricks on you. Plus... Of course, there's the question of the ice key. If you use the ice key in Donkey Kong 64, well, Banjo-Kazooie promised that you'd use the ice key in Banjo-Tooie. So would the ice key just be this perpetual item that all of the characters of Rare and the DKU would just be passing around to each other? Like, because that's that's the biggest uh, sticking point for me with the ice key being used in Donkey Kong 64 is... Yeah, but would it have also been used in Banjo-Tooie? Or would the Ice Key have been the, like, the thing that's used between all of the games? And, right. and then, yeah. you know, the the little items that are unique to each character, like the 
the question mark eggs or the golden Kong statue. Maybe that would have been the unique elements from each game. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like you mentioned the rabbit hole. That's that's what I find myself questioning now that we have all of this new evidence brought. To exactly. Light. Oh, my God. Yeah. We, we never get solutions. We just get steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is what makes this such a, a fascinating topic to discuss all of these years later. I mean, t- 25 years almost we've been discussing Stop and Swap. That That is just ridiculous. A quarter of a century. Do you know, Steve, that like 25 years before Banjo-Kazooie came out it was 1973 just to put it into perspective of how long we've been discussing stop and swap well and it's insane too because you look at the banjo kazooie series as it stands they're very realistic with their their timeline you know if you go in granny's revenge they they get you back to the 1970s you know they have a timeline that way and canonically they say well this is 2008 it's been exactly 10 years since the original banjo and banjo 2 comes out two years later they go it's literally been two years so it's insane to think that if they were to make a banjo today their time travel for exactly how long to go back to granny's revenge is what would happen in the original banjo yeah it's like what is time why is it like this (laughs) so i i guess that is everything that is now on the table uh, Nabnut's table or any other table. So what what are our final thoughts thus far for Stop and Swap? Because I'm sure the future will reveal something else. Some new piece of information will be brought to light, either from Paul Makachek or another rare dev, present or past, or we will find some other piece of published media somewhere across the globe that hints at something else. But where can we end things right now? Uh, because this episode will go up about six days before Easter, a time where people hidden eggs, yeah. around the world yeah, search for eggs hidden in their yards or their houses. And, and so what, what message can you give to all the little children hunting for eggs? So, you know... It's like finding an Easter egg that's 20 years too late and it's just in your room that you never found when you were 10. And then it's there and it's expired and it's no good, but you go, ah, I can finally solve that mystery, you know, because the, the end of Stop and Swap, like every single episode we've done for this series so far, we've always concluded, and it's a fool's errand because we always say, and that's everything we know about Stop and Swap. And of course, the first episode ends. Two days later, Paul Makachek comes out and goes, now I'm going to change your world. So we update that and we go, all right, second episode, we now have a couple more hours and that's the end of Stop and Swap. And then, of course, I go on archive.org and I find a German strategy guide and that creates this episode. So I don't think it's safe for us right now, Heil, to say this is the end of it because what will happen in 2025, you know, like it's it's going to be continuously going. There's always new stuff to find. And on that note, too, what can be found now? And I'm thinking back to Banjo-Kazooie and I'm thinking, surely, if it's all planned out with post-it notes and, and pages, because... Greg Mails has shown us, you know, on Twitter, the various things that he's created for Ghoulies and and Banjo-Tooie and Banjo-Kazooie. So surely there is a document, a a piece of paper 
with marker that's drawn out that shows the exact plan, or at least a piece of the puzzle that would have had Banjo kind of cooperating with it. So that is something that maybe we can hopefully look forward to if Twitter doesn't explode. You know, <laughs> If we can have a, a direct link to him still years from now, maybe he'll bless us on this Easter. It'll be an Easter miracle, and he'll post a scanned piece of, of Banjo-Kazooie that will show us, you know, a piece of Stop and Swap's intended purpose. Well, I think I know a way we can guarantee that we'll learn more information. And how's that? <laughs> By me saying, and that's all we know about Stop and Swap. This has been a File 2 production. Hey, Rico.